Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On today's episode of After the Snap, New Orleans Saints kicker Will Lutz will be joining the show to discuss his injury that kept him sidelined last year and how he's made the most of it to come back stronger this year. We will also discuss the Saints' recent trip to London, as well as a new addition to the Lutz family. It's time for After the Snap. Let's go. Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. Hey, keep your mouth shut, 50! I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south on a bunch. Can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again. Twist a little bit deeper because you got big skin. What is up, beautiful people? Blake here, joined by nobody this week. Reed has taken a couple of days of PTO, and this is their bye week. So uh, let him kind of take a, a few days of, of uh, vacation, whatever you want to call it, some uh, rest and relaxation. I'm flying solo dolo this week. So pumped to be here with you all, and we've got a super, super interview coming up later with Will Lutz that I'm pumped for. But first, I want to get into a little bit of a recap of this past week in mine and my brother's life. This past week, week six, the Minnesota Vikings came to town to play us, and it was a tough one. Not going to lie. It was a, it was a battle the entire game. It was a mostly a defensive game. I believe the Vikings punted 10 times and we had seven punt opportunities. We ended up uh, faking a punt. So we only ended up punting six times, but overall, I want to say just how proud I was of Skylar Thompson and the boys for the way that they approached this week. We have been riddled with injuries all year long. Seems like the whole world has been kind of against us in the last few weeks. And so uh, the mindset coming into this week was strong, but the ball didn't bounce our way this week. And uh, we're looking forward to Sunday night football in the primetime. Reed and I have talked at length about primetime matchups on the pod but we are pumped about this primetime matchup against the Steelers on Sunday. Reed and the boys in Buffalo traveled down to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs for what seems like the seventh time in the last three years that they've played. I don't know how many it actually is. I think it's like five. But it seems like they play every year in KC twice. But it came down to the final few plays. I didn't get to catch most of the game because it started right after ours. I was moving and shaking and seeing some some friends after the game and going out to eat and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't able to catch most of it. However, 
I did catch the very end of it with the game ceiling interception with 51 seconds left where the Bills could just kneel it out and take all of the time off the clock. Congratulations to Reed and the boys. They are on a bye week, like I said, this week, but they're back up next week against the Green Bay Packers, which is actually going to be part of a really, really cool story. So I can't remember if I've mentioned it before on this pod yet, but what we are trying to work out right now for not this upcoming weekend, but next weekend is the Dolphins play a one o'clock game in Detroit, Michigan against the Lions. Reed and the boys play Sunday night football next week against the Packers in Buffalo. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to get our parents from my game at one o'clock to Reed's game at eight 15 or whenever it starts in the same day. Now, That is a huge undertaking and a huge task with lots of organizational pieces. Shout out to Reed's and my agent, Bruce, for his help so far in all of the coordination of this trip. But that's our goal for not this upcoming, not this week, but next week. We will be having it all documented and we will make sure that uh, you guys get to see and follow along with Big Kev and CC traveling from Detroit to Buffalo to catch both games in the same day. But that is our goal. We are going to do it. I think it's time for not only the clutch snap of the week, but to me, the clutch snap of the whole year. Congratulations to Matt Solansky of the University of Tennessee snapped the game-winning field goal snap for a 40-yard field goal to take down the Alabama Crimson Tide for the first time since 2006. I was nine years old the last time Tennessee took down the Alabama Crimson Tide, and Reed was 12. This is actually a rivalry that is huge for our family. My dad, Big Kev, is a huge Tennessee fan. We grew up Tennessee fans. My dad is from Knoxville. He grew up in the shadows of Neyland Stadium. He used to sell programs outside of the games. And my, my granddad would, I think, uh, he, I think my dad said that he used to set up the phone system in Neyland Stadium. And so my dad was just kind of running around. Neyland Stadium as a kid. However, along comes my mom and they meet at the University of Tennessee and come to find out her family is all Bama fans, all Bama grads, which hilarious. Most Bama fans aren't Bama grads, but that's another story for another day. My dad meets my mom. They get married. All of a sudden, we've got a rivalry on our hands, folks. Tennessee, Alabama, it is what it is for the last 15 going on what was going to be 16 years. All we've heard from my mom's side of the family is 
how amazing the Crimson Tide are under Nick Saban. I got my shot at Nick Saban and the boys my senior year, and I was super pumped for Matt Solansky and the boys to get their shot at arguably the best dynasty in college football history. Congratulations to Matt Solansky, made right on the Daniel Lincoln Mount Cody field goal from, gosh, I don't even know what year that was, but congratulations, Matt. You guys, I hope you guys smoked so many cigars after that game. I can tell you from experience, when we beat Alabama, that was one of the biggest games of my entire career so far. And I know that Matt won't forget that anytime soon. However, they've got more football to play. They've got Georgia still on their schedule. And they might see Alabama again in the SEC championship if they can beat Georgia and stay perfect throughout the rest of the season. A lot ahead of the the Tennessee Volunteers, but man, do they look strong. Congratulations. I think I've said that four times now, but big time clutch snap of the week, maybe the clutch snap of the year. All right, it's time to get into it. New Orleans Saints kicker Will Lutz coming up next. Joining us on After the Snap this week, we have Saints kicker Will Lutz. Will, what is up, brother? What's going on, man? It's good to see you. It's been a little while. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I know we were talking before. Reed, he just said, you know, you aren't good enough for his time on the on the bye week. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. Do you take that as a slap in the face? You know, I'm going to not hold this one against them. Reed was the first guy I ever had a professional workout with, so I will not hold it against him. I just got to be asked to come back on when he's when he's back ready to roll. Yeah, just just don't let it happen again, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, man, I, I know you have had your fair share of adversity in the last, I guess, 365 days. You were coming off of a uh, an injury that kept you out for the entirety of last season. I was pumped to see that you were back healthy and ready to rock and roll this year. Game-winning field goal in your first game back of the regular season. How does it feel to be back on the field with the boys? Man, it's awesome. Obviously, to start in that fashion in Atlanta, I guess the hometown team was made it pretty special. You know, last year made me realize can't take any of this for granted. You never know when it's going to come to an end based off performance, health, really anything. I mean, this this league uh, it hits you like a brick wall. So, man, this this year I'm just having fun. I'm really enjoying it and um, man, taking it day by day. Cause... Was there any kind of silver lining in the injury last year? I know you probably got to spend more time with your family. What are some things that maybe you you got to appreciate during that time where you maybe weren't at football every day? Yeah, you, I mean, you weren't you weren't in the building as long every day. I guess would be my question. Yeah, you know, I mean, the cliche way to put it is it puts everything into perspective, and that's kind of the way after you know the first surgery and having to go back for another that I really looked at it. Like, obviously, I was beating myself up during that you know first little window when I didn't really understand what was going on. But man, it put everything in perspective. You know, my wife was pregnant, so I really got to enjoy my time with her really embrace that period of our life. You know, obviously I wish it never happened, but I learned so much about myself mentally and physically during those 11 months that it's really hard to describe and invaluable, invaluable stuff. 
I want to talk about, uh, and I know you mentioned Atlanta being the hometown game on your schedule every year. Obviously, you played at Georgia State. What's it like being able to go back to Atlanta and play every season? Obviously, from Noonan, played at Georgia State right in downtown. Uh, what's it like being able to go back to Mercedes-Benz and play there on a regular basis? Man, it's special. You know, every year I get that. You know, my family comes to a lot of games. I'm very uh, blessed that they uh, travel to a lot of my games. But to have them in that stadium, you know, to have them down the sideline for the team that, you know, we grew up cheering for going to games. Um, I played in the old Georgia Dome at Georgia State. So my rookie year, I got to play there, which was really, was really cool. But, you know, and then to have the Saints rivalry with Atlanta on top of that makes that week yeah. so special to me and my family. And man, I look forward to every year. And I had a lot of buddies text me after that game. That was, uh, yeah, no yeah, doubt. A little punch in the gut to a lot of my buddies. No doubt. No doubt. I want to go back a minute and talk about kind of how you got your start because uh, I think as specialists, people get it twisted a lot of times. We sort of have to recruit ourselves to these big time universities. You don't get the kind of exposure that you would get from, you know, being a top tier quarterback, top tier receiver. Did you go to kicking camps? You know, did you go to multiple different kicking camps? Were you sort of exclusive to one? I know there's kind of a, there's this sort of mindset around being exclusive to one coach. Kind of tell me your story on on kicking camps. Man, so in high school, I did not go to any camps. I worked with a guy named Cedric Oglesby periodically in Atlanta, you know, one-on-one, and he's still out of Atlanta. He's a great coach. He played in the league for a few games. Man, I remember like it was yesterday, my dad and I were burning CDs out of our off our computers, packing them into little yellow yeah. envelopes and sending them to every school. Dude, I can remember dropping those off for my brother at the post office. Have the uh, little the little the little bubble mailers. Yes, dude. Yeah, and like how quickly that has changed, you know? And like I remember copy and pasting every email across the country. And now yes. that I know a lot of these coaches, none of them ever even look at those emails. It's like their assistant that that fields all those messages yeah. and, and then watches all the tape and says, Hey, here's the here's the ones that are actually worth your time. Yeah, so it's kind of cool to say that we did like the old school recruiting, but yeah. Um, you know, you know, it didn't work for me when it came to the actual college. You know, it's it's, it's it funny I, you say that about the kind of the old school mentality on on recruiting because so our assistant in Miami right now, Brendan Farrell, was at the University of Alabama when I took a visit there and and went to their camp, and he said until he moved here, he still had the thank you note that I had written him after the camp. Oh, and that's so, awesome. yeah, and, and kind of, uh, small world. We, we ended up being in the same place, uh, here and we're, you know, still, still rocking and rolling. But, uh, but yeah, you, you kind of have to kind of have to do that whole thing. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. I just think it's really cool that like these days it's all on social media, everything. And yeah. there we were burning CDs and taking them to the post office and yeah. somehow we made it. <laughs> yeah. So, so you get to, you get to Georgia State. And I, I read, I actually didn't know this about you. I read where you actually kicked and punted in, yeah. was, it, was it two years, your la- your final two years? Yeah, so I uh, kicked off my freshman year. I kicked off and did field goals my sophomore year. And then my third and fourth year, junior, senior year, I did all, did all three. And my senior year, I had double 
the stats of punting. I mean, I thought I was going to the league for punting. Really? 55% field goal kicker. Um, well, that was that was actually going to be my next question is, is when did you kind of have a, a feeling like you could – I could play at the next level. I'm getting some, you know, getting some scouting attention because they, they kind of keep some of that under wraps, you know, the, the scouting, the questions that they ask about you when they come to your school and stuff. But when did you realize like you were going to have a shot at this punting or kicking? Yeah. You know, I knew I was talented. I knew that, um, you know, I had been around enough specialists. I was in tune enough. You know, I'd watch other guys in pregame who were, you know, top guys coming out. You know, because we went to George State, we would play these money games against yeah. you know, the number one kicker coming out, and and I was just like, man, if this is the, the number one guy, I feel like I've got to have a chance. Yeah, and um, man, I put a lot of time into it. I thoroughly loved kicking in college; like, I would kick every day if I could, and I really fell in love with punting too. So I knew the talent was there. And to this day, I'm, I'm still like, how did these guys find me? Because I didn't have great statistics. But, man, like I always say it, if you're talented, they'll find you. No question. And, you know, statistics aside, somehow they found me. (laughs) Well, and and I feel like that you kind of landed on a good fit with sort of developing into a phenomenal, well-polished kicker. You ended up undrafted in Baltimore. And Baltimore is, is known for sort of their developmental process with, uh, with Randy and the boys. They have signed and then ended up, I, I guess, sending to other teams some amazing talent throughout the years. You know, you've got, you've got Orzik out in LA right now, uh, Vedvik. I don't know that he's on a practice squad right now. He's but, up in the Canadian league now, but okay. Canadian yeah, league. So, a bit. but so you've got, you've got multiple guys. What was that experience like being in Baltimore and then finally ending up in New Orleans? The invaluable part about Baltimore is I went there, you know, I had a couple of the free agent offers. And I remember when I chose to go to Baltimore, my agent was like, why? What are you, you know, doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You got the best kicker in the league and then you have yeah. other options. And yeah. man, I just had a gut feeling. Those guys up there, Harbaugh worked in special teams for think like nine or 10 years with the Eagles, yeah. a few teams before then. And then he had Jerry Rosberg who had, man, knowledge through the roof in the special teams game. And then obviously Randy Brown was one of the only specialist specific coaches at the time. Right. Now other teams are obviously inheriting that. But there was so much experience around me there. And I knew how raw I was. I wasn't blind to that. So – there was just something telling me to go there with all that experience in one room. And I look back on it now and I'm like, man, if I would have gone to one of these other teams, it doesn't matter how well I did, I probably would, would be at home. That decision and that, you know, six months with, with those guys was, yeah, man, it's changed well, my life. So then you end up, what, two weeks later, you're in New Orleans, if, if that. Yeah, um, man, that was back when they did the 75-man roster cuts the last time, and I got released on Tuesday. I went home and did laundry for the Georgia State football team. Oh, my gosh. got to finish some classes. And then New Orleans played Baltimore on Thursday. And okay. Harbaugh told me the whole week, hey, we're going to talk to them. We're going to get you down there. And I remember watching that game and just thinking, like, oh, my God, this would be crazy. I'm playing there in a couple of days. And sure enough, they put me on a flight the next day. <laughs> It's crazy. That's freaking awesome. So you go down there and you're quickly immersed into the world of 
a specialist room with Thomas Morstead, who yeah. had some outstanding – he had an outstanding career in New Orleans, some outstanding years, uh, obviously been to the Pro Bowl. How did he help you as a young player? You're a rookie. Obviously, you had spent time with with Tuck and Sam and the guys in, in Baltimore, and I'm sure they obviously gave you some wisdom. But how was Thomas able to do the same? Look, Thomas is one of my best friends, so I'm not biased. I'm not trying to be biased when I, you know, explain my time with him. But, man, I don't know. My rookie year started so, man, I got thrown in the fire quick. 61 yard in my first ever game. Missed it. Yeah. I don't know if I would have made it out of that little four-game start I had if I didn't have Thomas as a teammate. And he's so good at, you know, keeping you level-headed in the best way. You know, one thing I told him when, when we released him was – one of his best attributes is he kept me down when everything was yeah. going the right way, but he lifted me up when things were going the wrong way. No question. And man, I'll just never forget. He put his arm around me. It's like week five or six of my rookie year. I just thought I was getting released. And he was like, man, just keep your head down and keep working. You know, you're going to be here longer than I will. And, you know, I took that to heart. I think Thomas sees talent. He's a model human being. I always say he's going to be the next mayor of New Orleans. So, <laughs> hey, I wouldn't put that past him. He he loves that city more than anything I've ever seen. It is like Drew Brees, Thomas Morstead. So and funny. He's climbing up there too. Funny Thomas Morstead story. So my first time meeting Thomas was after Greg McMahon, your old special teams coordinator, came to LSU in 2017, and he – McMahon sent us to Tulane over the summer, I think before the 2018 season, to meet up with Thomas Morstead. We kicked, snapped, it was me and the specialist and, and then Thomas. And then his, his little youngsters were running around. That was me meeting Thomas. And then the next time I saw Thomas, he was the guy at the front of the Mardi Gras parade, like tossing out t-shirts. That was yeah. the very next time I saw Thomas Morstead. And it, I think it just goes to show like how how down to earth he is to not be above hanging out with a bunch of college specialists who don't know any better and they're just a bunch of you yeah. know wet behind the ear. But he also he means a ton to that city and and you know he walks around and and people he walks around in Miami people want to take pictures with him. I know for a fact that he walks around in, in New Orleans and everybody knows who he is because well, of when he has his long locks, he's one of the yeah, most no people. question. And, and, and he still did at the time. To give a shout out to his charity, it's called What You Give Will Grow. What he has done for this city and that charity is yeah. incredible. I mean, I remember one of the first things he ever told me, I didn't understand New Orleans. I thought it was, you know, it's a small city. It's kind of yeah. It'd be kind of nasty, kind of smells kind of dirty. Yeah. He told me, he said, if this, if you accept this city, this city will accept you. No question. If you don't, you're not going to like it. And that was seven years ago. And my wife and I have been living here full time for four years now. So I've done that and it's been, you know, the best seven years of my life. So yeah. Yeah. And and I I think he's, I think he's right. You know, I, I dated a girl in college for three years that was from New Orleans. She was right off of Bonneville Boulevard. So I spent time in New Orleans and, and I, I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with that statement because the people of New Orleans are incredibly welcoming, yeah. but they're also incredibly protective. If you uh, embrace sort of that, that, um, 
what makes it what makes it so awesome if you if you embrace what makes it awesome you'll you'll be loved forever by those people and, yeah, and uh, you'll you'll enjoy it so I want to move on a little bit to your London trip that you guys just took we went to London last year it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had we ended up losing to Jacksonville on a game-winning field goal I know you had a 60 yarder to tie the game. First of all, what was the London experience like? Did you enjoy it? The the travel? Did you guys? What, when did y'all go out there? When did you guys? Did you guys there? do the um, when you went there? Did y'all do Thursday night or did y'all go for the whole week? No, so we went Thursday night, and so we we left after practice on Thursday. Uh, went right to the airport, took a melatonin, slept on the flight. Yeah. Woke up, went straight to meetings in London. We went straight to meetings and straight to the practice field for our for our Friday like jog. I've always been practice. intrigued by that because a lot of teams do it, but you know, and it's all these professional sleep doctors who yeah. get the schedule for us. But the two times I've done it, I've done it. We did it in 2017, and then uh, this year we we've gone out. We've played Carolina and Charlotte, and we have flown straight to London both times. So it's only a nine-hour flight, I think. I can't remember. Same thing. We take melatonin. Everybody yep. falls asleep on the plane. You, drink, they, yeah, you guys drink those Psalm sleep drinks? Yeah. Knock me out. <laughs> gone. Those things are the best. And so my my second year, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the trip. felt yeah. like I was completely out of my routine. I hadn't had a great start to that season. So I was like, man, I just, I just want to get in my routine and get the season going. But um, this time I really kind of – I understood how to, you know, going into it, how to handle the week, how to somewhat keep a routine over there. But I also understood, like, enjoy it. Like, it's so cool. We get to go play in a foreign country who doesn't really have the sport that we play. And so they you know, love it. football over there. It's so cool. I mean, there's, you know, there's 32 different jerseys in the stands. Yes. But they are all in. And yes. uh, it's cool. We did a, we did Germany versus England Monday night. We landed Monday morning. Amazing. So we went to a Germany-England game Monday night in Wembley. Incredible. Oh, my gosh. And then I went to a Chelsea Crystal Palace game on Saturday. My brother-in-law lives over there, so I watched yeah. uh, a game with him. That's so awesome. This time I had so much more fun. The new stadium that the NFL and Tottenham did together is yeah. incredible. And obviously the fans over there are – I mean, they, they really embrace us every time we go over there. So – yeah. I can't wait to do it again, you know. I cool. think I think I was a little bit naive going into the trip on just how much planning that they have done on the on the London side of things for the hotel accommodations, the field and all of just all the different intricacies that you might not think about when it comes to that, but like when we got there, and and I don't know if it was like this your your second uh, your second year in the league when y'all went the first time, the hotels that we stay in now have built football fields on their property on their grounds like for us to practice, and it goes unused yeah. the rest of the year. There's like two two London games; those are the only two weeks that that field is used for the entirety of the year, and then you know it just kind of sits there. But they did that prior planning, knowing that NFL teams were going to be staying at their hotels. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's so cool how much the NFL is investing in trying to create, you know, the fan base over there. Yeah. Although you know, they're not, you know, our games for them are super early or super late. So 
we may not get the TV time we want out of those guys, right. but they're creating this fan base overseas that, you know, adds value to what we do and yeah. just growing this brand of ours. And it's, it's really it's, cool. It's kind of like, it's kind of like getting up at 6 a.m. to watch the Premier League games on Saturday mornings. Hey, I do it. Me too. I wanted to ask, did you guys stay out in the countryside? Were you out in, um, uh, there's, there's two. We stayed at Scion Park. Okay. So that wasn't we where we stayed. The Grove. So we stayed at like a place like an hour and a half north. Uh, that was like a, it was like an old, um, it was like a convent back like 500 years ago for nuns. And now, oh, really? now it's like a, it's like Got a Marriott, stories? dude, it's like a Marriott hotel now. And they like, have like this beautiful golf course and all of this stuff. But were you guys, so, so is, uh, is it Scion Park? Is that what you said? Yeah. So both of those places are about an hour out from okay. London. So we were kind of out okay. away from everything, which is probably smart. Yep. Um, but we, you know, like I said, we, everyone went into the city at least two or three times. The Grove was, they were. They had a full football field. Scion Park. When we were there, we had to we uh, bust over to a rugby field. Oh, nice. But, okay. uh, but yeah, both great venues. Yeah. So moving on a little bit, uh, you guys are coming off of playing Cincinnati this past week, heading out to Arizona this upcoming Sunday. Uh, Sunday, right? Yeah. Uh, Thursday. 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 Yeah. Thursday. Okay. Yeah. So quick. So quick. Quick turnaround. I've heard mixed reviews on the field in Arizona with it being the grass indoors. I've played out there twice, played in the Fiesta Bowl, and then played once out there my rookie year. How do you feel about playing on that kind of surface? I know kickers are can be a little bit more particular about their about their field surface. What are your thoughts there? Personally, I love grass. I love that the ball flies out there a little bit in that thin, dry air. But – I mean, yeah, that, you know, that climate is very easy to grow, grow grass out there. For some reason, that field reminds me a lot of Vegas too. Yeah. It's very tight. Not the same thing. Cut like a freaking grade 14 green yeah. that you're putting on. So I don't really understand why it's, they struggle with it so much, but you go out there in warm ups and it's pristine yeah. as can be. And five minutes into warm ups, yeah. it's half dirt. Yeah. So, it's a little frustrating, but, you know, I think, unfortunately, Harrison Bucker got hurt out there this year, started his ankle issues. So, obviously, I've kind of checked in on some film watching guys kick kick out there. But I played out there in 16. I wear studs anytime I'm on grass just because I plant so hard. So, yep. you know, I don't really mind it. But, yeah, I don't really understand why they struggle so hard to keep that field in good shape. When we played out there in 2018 in the Fiesta Bowl, our opening kickoff of the game, our kicker went to plant and like slipped and fell completely on his butt. He he was not wearing studs. He was wearing his his cleats. he's wearing his soccer cleats. But he quickly changed his his left foot because you know he he literally slipped and like barely got the ball off the tee. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every time you play out there, it's it's kind of you just have to be careful about you know the the surface and and especially for for special with all the injury studies these days i'm so surprised they don't try to yeah you know, do something a little different because that climate out there i mean yeah. the golf courses are incredible how's the 
Yeah. How is the football well, field not? But you also you also can't put turf because then you know guys are guys are up in in arms right now about about turf specifically at places like MetLife where you know there's feels like there's injuries, knee injuries, and all kinds of stuff happening like every week. But let's talk about that because let's here's I'm here's the problem it. I have. Six weeks ago, everybody was complaining about Chicago's field yeah. being grass and tore up. They need to redo the grass. Yeah. Or why is it just not turf? And now all of a sudden, oh, yeah. we want grass only. Yeah. I feel and like it, every year you can't have your, grass. you cannot have your cake and eat it too. Because, you can't make everyone happy. Yeah. And, and I think if you look at the statistics, I think it's overwhelmingly in in favor of grass over turf because of the injury stats. Uh, I'm I think assuming it's like, there's just think, more money involved with grass that teams don't want to commit to the year-round maintenance. But yeah. my honest opinion is every stadium should be a dome, and I'm not getting that anytime soon. I don't disagree with that, honestly. <laughs> I do not disagree with that. However, I think I think Buffalo fans and, and Reed would Reed would be great to chime in here if he wasn't uh, off taking vacation. I think Buffalo fans would probably riot if they put a dome on their new stadium that they're going to get. Yeah, well, maybe because, we'll let Buffalo have it. I never play them, so they, yeah, can, keep, they yeah. can keep their indoor stadium. Uh, you know, I was hoping we – because we played Minnesota uh, this past week. I was hoping that was going to be an away game because I wanted to go to their stadium. I've heard it's just immaculate it up incredible. there. It's incredible. It's really cool. I got to play there the first year it was but, open. Yeah. That's a cool stadium. The last thing I want to cover with you before we get into a couple of uh, what we call short snaps, new baby born in April, Mr. Owen, congratulations. First off, what have you learned? What's what what's new in the in the world of, of daddy Lutz? Man, I've learned everything and everything is new. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny. People try to give you advice before, you know, a baby's born. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, OK, I got it. I got it. And then the day that baby is born and the, the sliding doors open to the real world, you're like, oh, my God. They're letting like, me leave with this thing? <laughs> you're letting me have this right now. <laughs> so it has been – I'll say this. It's been an incredible watching my wife be a mom. It's just like they are superhumans. I've still got so – I mean, we both have so much to learn. But, man, there's nothing like it. And everyone told me that before I was born. And I said you – know, they say, you're going to love them. Like, no, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like – Okay, we'll see. And then <laughs> the second that baby comes out, it's like your whole life changes. Yeah. Well, I, I saw your I saw your Instagram post about uh, his first time being being able to come to your game. What yeah. was that like? I mean, that, that had to be such a cool moment for you. Yeah, man. My wife was lucky enough to get invited to a teammate suite, and so we we're like, "Hey, if you're going to go to a suite, let's you know let's get Owen to his first game." And yeah, you know, it's a little quieter up there, so Definitely. to get them on the sidelines for that is like everything I've dreamed of. I've told yeah. my wife. When we first got married, I was like, I want a kid early enough that they, they can comprehend what I, what I do for a living, that they can come to my game. Because, you know, Moore said he used to always run to the stands and, like, hug all seven of his kids. Dude, I see, it, I see it every week. I saw it <laughs> so two days I ago. Like, I want that, you know. Yeah. So yeah. to finally be able to go over to the sideline and hold them there in pregame was, like, chilling. It was yeah. so cool. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And I know that – uh, her being in the suite was obviously a, a little bit of a extra level of comfort for her. Reed and and Erica struggled with you know being up in Buffalo in the harsh conditions. So most of the games that I think pretty much all the games that Blakely went to uh, last season and and then what will be this season 
will be in the suite out of the out of the elements and the the loud yeah, noises. Like the <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right, I want to get into a couple of we call them short snaps. We ask everybody that comes on our pod uh, these questions. They're just a couple of fun little questions just to get to know Will Lutz. First one would be, what is your favorite away stadium that you've played in in your career? Oof. Man, that's tough. You got the history with like Lambeau is so cool. Like walking into that stadium is, uh, you know, the history that's there is awesome. As far as like just the nicest, coolest stadium, we were the first team to play in the Vegas stadium and it was during COVID. So there's no fans, but that stadium is like, yeah. I mean, it's like super. What do you call it? Like science, science. I don't, I don't know, but it's just like futuristic. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. Dude, that, that locker room, that away locker room is like a home, is like anybody's home locker room. It is immaculate. Yeah, it's incredible. They did a great job. We've played there twice. We played there my rookie year. Uh, it was, it was that first year. It was open. There was nobody there. And then last year we played, played there again. Trivia and question it, that okay. one day you're going to hear 20 years down the road. Who scored the first points in Vegas stadium? Had to be Will Lutz. Me. Let's go. Write that down. That's we, your we kicked that's, a field goal on the opening drive of the game in the first ever game there. Amazing. I'm, I'm carrying that with me. That's going to be something that, you know, people who are listening to this podcast will hear in a, a pizza night, pizza night <laughs> trivia 20 yeah. years from now. And they're going to be like, I'm so glad that I listened to that podcast. Yeah. Uh, all right. Least favorite away stadium. Chicago. I've, my percentage is very low there, and both times I've played there, it's been 25-mile-per-hour wins, and yeah. no bueno. Yeah, we played there in the preseason last year. Uh, it was a little bit windy, but we play there again here in a couple weeks this season, and I, I anticipated being a little more windy than it was in August of last year. We play in Pittsburgh this year, and so that'll be a rival. We'll see. Yeah. That'll be close. Halftime snack. What do you eat? PB&J. Okay. Well, oh, that – I'm, I'm I'm so glad that you said that because the next question that I had for you is uh, actually a question that we curated from Reed's experience last year uh, in KC Sunday Night Football. They're playing. They get a they get a halftime like extra long rain delay. So they're sitting there eating their PB and Js, and Reed and some of the guys mentioned that the the sandwiches have too much peanut butter. It's like too much peanut butter sticking to the roof of my mouth. My question to you is, what is your PB&J ratio? So hefty peanut butter because it's filling. Okay. But I would say ratio 80-20, and that might be an unpopular opinion. Holy moly. But I want the flavor of the grape jelly. I go grape. We have, we have choice strawberry or grape. Yep. Go great, and I want to stuff that thing with peanut butter because that's filling, and we got about yeah. two and a half more hours. Yeah, you got some of the healthy so, fats that are just going to kind of not spike your spike sugar. And it'll be kind of a, a slow. Exactly. So Reed eighty twenty. No whip fans or butts about it, dude. I think Reed is like sixty five thirty five peanut butter, maybe sixty forty. I'm like fifty fifty. I have to like if it's sticking in the roof of my mouth, dude. I can't eat it. I cannot oh, eat it, but I am a big I'm a big Smucker's Uncrustable guy. Oh, they're the best! I could eat those. Like yeah. they're, they're they're in our weight room right next to our indoor facility, and so yep. like when I go in there to warm up for practice. I'm just like shoving them. Pound three of them. Yeah, pre practice. 
All right. Uh, last two questions. Uh, what is your pregame playlist? I like to start out with like some John Mayer kind of soft, easy music just to kind of stay chill. Then I kind of bump it up to a little Kygo. Okay. Kygo, Avicii, that kind of music. Beautiful. Uh, nothing too headbanging. Just, uh, keep me in a good mood. Put a little yeah. country music on before you know, go. going into the stadium. Yeah. Love that. And then the last question, not sure why it's on here, but we ask it every week. Is a hot dog a sandwich? That is. The problem is I don't really eat hot dogs. Okay. But do you eat, do you eat bratwurst? Do you eat like I do like bratwurst and okay. by definition you get two buns and some type of processed meat in the middle of it. I mean, that's not a sandwich. I don't know what we've been doing our whole lives. Okay. So I gotta say it's a sandwich because I think it like it literally is in the definition, but I'm not sure where people say it's not a sandwich. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess my follow up to that would be if it's not a sandwich, then is it a taco? Is a, is a, is a hot dog a taco? Cause it's. Well, the point to that could be there. It's one, but if you break your bun, does it become a sandwich? See, but I, I don't, do you break your bun? I don't know many people that I mean, break Sometimes bun. when you stuff it with a little too much stuff, the bun kind of tears at the bottom, now it's a sandwich. That's when you know it's a really good hot dog. You've got to yeah. just load it down. But onions, if it doesn't break and it's the full you. Yeah. It's a taco. Love it. Never heard that one, but I'm on board. Hot dogs or tacos. Heard it here first. (laughs) Will, thanks for joining us, man. This has been so much fun. Really appreciate your time. Man, thanks for having me on. And uh, Reed, we missed you. I wish we were playing one of you guys this year, but I don't get either Ferguson's. So maybe next year. Well, another big thank you to Will for joining us on the pod this week. Obviously, I've, I've known him for several years, but Getting to hear his story and what motivates him and what makes him who he is is a little bit of a deeper understanding into somebody's life, and I certainly enjoyed it. I hope that you you listeners did as well, but that is a wrap on this week's episode of After the Snap. You'll have to check back next Friday to see who we have on next. This has been After the Snap, tales from two brothers who live life upside down.